The guest for this episode of the Pick and Pop series on the PSB podcast is Carl Barkley. Carl grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina and played at Swarthmore College. He is now the co-director of PSB China and lives in Chengdu, China full-time where he coaches youth basketball over there. Carl, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah, how, uh, how is it being back in the States? Uh, you know, a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, nice to see the family, obviously. Nice to get some, get some good weather, be back for the summer. Um, but yeah, no, definitely uh, takes a little bit to get used to. You've been over in Chengdu now um, as the co-director of PSB China for how many months? Four and a half, five months. So it's been four and a half, five months over there. Yep. What's it been like? It's been great. Uh, yeah, you know, there's obviously a learning curve anytime you go to a new country. Um, but I took some Chinese uh, beforehand, so I had a little bit of an advantage, um, you know, on the average person, and that I could right off the bat speak the language and you know communicate with people. Um, so that definitely helped. But for the most part, I think what I've found out is that there are a lot more similarities than differences, um, especially in terms of basketball. The passion's there. The people want to be, um, you know, in your classes, working with you, and they're very attentive to, you know, the, the stuff that we're trying to do. And um, then outside of that, off the court, uh, I've really enjoyed it, uh, meeting people, um, checking out the city, and traveling within China. Yeah, and let's, uh, let's actually bring it back a little bit. Um, kind of an interesting story. So we met you when, when you were younger because you're kind of from the Charlotte area, and then you went on to play at uh, Division Three at, at Swarthmore College, and I believe that's where you started getting into, uh, into Mandarin, correct? You started learning Chinese or, or Mandarin there, yes? Yeah, that's right. So I had uh, finished my, my major by the time – my senior year started and I had a couple open spots in my schedule and hadn't taken a language so I decided to give Chinese a shot um, just intro and so I was in a class full of freshmen um, but loved the loved the teachers loved the the material and got the start there and then after graduating went to DC and was working full-time but took um, some night classes at George Washington um, just to try to maintain with the hopes of getting something, you know, an opportunity at some point to work full-time um, to really put those skills to use. And this just kind of worked out and has been perfect. Yeah, that was uh, that's one of the crazier things that I think has happened to us where it's like we knew a coach and actually a coach that had coached camps, pro skills camps, um, that wanted to go to China and actually knew Chinese or at least, you know, ha had some sort of foundation there. That was uh, – that was a bit of good luck there. Yeah, no, it is. It works, you know, on both sides, and in a lot of ways, I hope I'm the first of, of many um, that you guys can can send over to China, and that um, going forward, we can show people how how cool of a spot it is. One to live and to experience that different culture, and then two, just like I mean, from a basketball standpoint, you really have an opportunity to to make your imprint on some of these kids, um, just because they haven't received the same level of of coaching that we're used to seeing in the u.s so. yeah and just to give everyone a uh, a, a little background um i guess it was only uh, two years ago it was 2016 but i guess now it's three summers ago we were invited to um to go over to china and uh to coach nike basketball camps over there so myself and um ross schrader 
who is in charge of PSB Denver. Uh, Ross played at UC Irvine, played in Spain, and then he had been coaching youth basketball for a while. Him and I decided, okay, you know, we'll go over there. So we went over there three summers ago, and uh, we went to Shanghai and Hangzhou and ran Nike basketball camps there for for two weeks. And uh, it was it was such an incredible experience for us. I mean, we, we had both played internationally, but obviously just in Europe. Uh, Ross was in Spain. I was like France, Germany, Hungary, and Greece. So um, it was mostly Western Europe. Um, I had never been to Asia. I always wanted to go. We went over there, and it was such an incredible experience and, like, the passion that everyone has for basketball there. I mean, basketball is the number one sport, like, no questions asked. It's not, it's not even close. Right. Yeah, and the government recently has been putting a ton of money into, into soccer, um, trying to build up their national program. But, yeah, from, without a doubt, from, a, from the average person's perspective, basketball is just dominant. Um, you go, especially in, in Chengdu, you go past a park, you know, even in the middle of the day, people, normal work hours, people will go during their lunch and play pickup, and the parks are just packed. After work, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a, there's just a passion for it and a want and a desire to play. Um, and it starts at a young age. Yeah. That, that was one of our favorite things over there was the, um, the park scene. It reminded us, uh, Ross and I of like, uh, you know, an eighties and early nineties, like U S park scene where the parks are just packed and people are playing pickup. I mean, it was kind of like that on steroids because there's so many people there and there's some enormous parks, but I mean, every day, yeah, we, we would go to these parks or drive by them and they would just be absolutely packed all day long. And, and it's, it is hot over there in the summertime no too. So it didn't matter. It was like they, they, they were out there playing in a hundred degree heat with like, whatever that humidity is over there in that like tropical climate it's amazing yeah i think i think for i mean at least growing up you know as as americans we get used to playing in air-conditioned gyms and stuff but for them like that's a luxury still is getting getting time in a gym that's indoors so yeah it's just part of the part of the, the game you just go out and ball in the heat and it doesn't matter if it's hot you know in the summer or colder in the winter you just you play yeah people always ask me how what what China is like and I tell them it's kind of like a roller coaster there are some amazing days you have over there where you're just like your mind is just blown and there's just cool things where you maybe you eat some food that's like that's just amazing or you see something that you've never seen before you experience whatever it is and then there's some days where it's it's really difficult you know whether it's some sort of convenience you're used to that is not available there or just, you know, just with the language barrier and, and, and just any sort of cultural differences that you might not be used to. So it's just, you, you have ups and downs, but overall it is incredibly, incredibly valuable, I think, and, and worthwhile to go over there and experience it. What are your feelings on, on just China as a country in general and your experience over there? Yeah, I, mean, I think I definitely agree with that, the whole roller coaster idea, and that you know you do have days where, you know, from my perspective, I've, I'm learning some new terminology or something. I feel like I can coach a class in Chinese. I'm, I'm riding, riding high, and then you, know, you have moments that are very humbling. And, um, yeah, like you're saying, with, with just certain conveniences and things that feel so natural in the U.S., like 
you know, trying to schedule a doctor's appointment or something or like you get. Well, what about, what about that story? I think, I, I think you were only like a week into it and, and over in China, everyone rides around on like mopeds yeah. and motorcycles yep. and like, you know, some people have cars, but I mean, it's definitely like a motorbike sort of country. And uh, I think you were riding around on a motorbike like one week in. I don't know. Did you get a flat tire yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, that was two days in. Uh, <laughs> two days. So I we had had kind of a day to adjust, and um, and then, yeah, the second day I was supposed to go to one of our partners, like a, school, a private school, and um, meet some of their staff, and then coach some classes. Uh, and yeah, I left with my roommate, and he went ahead. And I was behind. My bike was wasn't really responding very well, or as it had the previous day. And I looked down, and it's just completely flat on the ground, <laughs> and I got nothing. So at this point, you know, little uh, definitely green. And it took me a while to to figure out what the vocab for flat tire was, and and to find someone who knew what what the answer was. But once I found someone, he directed me around the corner to a shop. I found it, got it fixed in 15 minutes. And yeah, it was frustrating because I was late basically on my first day of work. Um, but, and yeah, and I couldn't really communicate that effectively to the people. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, China has a way of humbling you at, at times and kind of putting you back in your place. Um, but overall, I've loved it and it has been a great experience. Yeah, what about uh, what about some of your favorite experiences over there so far? So on the other end of that uh, flat tire <laughs> yeah. spectrum. Uh, I think, yeah, I went down to a city about two hours south of Chengdu called Luzhou um, for a week with one of our partners. They wanted us to come down and, and help them coach some of their summer programs. And I was the only foreigner that I saw basically the entire week. Um, so I was using my Chinese the whole time. It was during that time that I really got a lot more comfortable with coaching strictly in Chinese um, and using English more as like a practice tool for the kids if they wanted to improve their skill level. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I felt like that was a very authentic week culturally. I got to go out with our partners and and grab dinner and see the city and you know that type of thing. And, and so, I felt like I grew a lot, and that was definitely a high moment so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a, what's the basketball like over there? Give uh, give everyone listening kind of a sense of, uh, I mean, we talked about the park scene, which is, uh, I mean, you know, kind of the, the exercise slash recreational side of basketball in China. But what about what about youth basketball in China in terms of, like, kids wanting to get better and develop and what does youth basketball look like over there? Right. Yeah, the numbers are there. The kids, I mean, they're busy and they have a ton of schoolwork, but at the same time they are willing to – basketball is one of the few things they're willing to, to carve out time for in, in their schedules. And, um, yeah, they're enthusiastic about it. The problem is they, they just don't have access to the type of training that we do in the United States, and, and the standards aren't the same. So – a lot of times you'll see coaches doing layup drills for 25 minutes and teaching incorrect footwork that entire time, or they'll have the kids lined up facing them and they're just screaming at them to do, uh, you know, various dribbling drills in front of them, and the kids are just staring at the ground. So they're not really, they're not really working on any kind of in-game skills or development, and 
Um, so I think the result is you get a lot of guys that are great stationary shooters and, you know, still like to play the game. But outside of that, there's not there's not a lot of react reaction and, um, you know, basketball IQ. Yeah, that's uh, that's been my sense of thing is is uh, there's plenty of players over there and, and China does have a, a good amount of athletes. I mean, they do have some taller guys, you know, especially, I mean, just with their population, they're going to have some, some taller guys here or there. They're going to have very quick guys. So, I mean, they have athletic, good-sized basketball players, but uh, from what I've seen, a lot of times the skill level is just dramatically lower over there than here, which is part of the reason that they look to hire international coaches, especially American coaches, and, and that's why Ross and I went over there three summers ago is because they want to hire American coaches because they believe that we can teach the correct fundamentals. Yeah, and I think it's true. And I mean, even even, I mean, from a, from the youngest age, like I think there are a lot of things that an American coach, in terms of like, from, even from like the most basic thing like stretching and warming up, like, um, you know, in, in one when I was down in Lujou a lot of times the their coach would tell their kids to warm up and their version of a warm up was them dribbling the ball and running around the edge of the court for 15 minutes and i just as a as someone who has gone through the youth, youth basketball system and spent you know hours and hours and hours practicing for me that was tough to watch especially if you know i know they're bringing in someone else a foreign coach and those kids are excited to work with us while we're there um and it just yeah a lot of times what they set up just feels like a waste of time for the kids when they could be doing other things to, to really improve their game. Yeah, just getting, you know, doing better drills, being more efficient with the time. And exactly. The, yeah, yeah. Getting more kids have. involved. Yeah. And and can you talk a little bit, because it's, um, it's very different over there too, just uh, the youth in general, like the time where the youth are required to spend their time over there. It's, it's a very different... Um, system over there. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it just comes down to expectations from the parents, um, and there's a different standard for academics. That's the that's the first thing, and that their school year is longer than ours is in the states. Um, and their oh, days are longer. Their too, days right? are longer, right? They're usually classes we would do after school classes, um, which they consider as part of their curriculum, and those wouldn't end until five thirty or six thirty some days. Uh, yeah, so they put a lot more time in during the school year. And then during the summer, it's again, it's a completely different game. So whereas in the U.S. you have time as a kid to go to camps and, you know, be working on your game in a more informal capacity, it's like in China I was doing private lessons with some, some kids right before I came home. And we would they, – they could fit in about an hour and a half to two hours in the morning. But then after that they had to go immediately to go – one of them had um, cello lessons, and then after that he had English lessons for three hours, and then he had a Chinese lesson at, in the evening, and then he was telling me that he still had to figure out time to do homework at night. You yeah, know, it's yeah. just like there's a different baseline for being busy as a kid. Yeah, the kids are really crunched for time over there, mm -hmm. and it seems that, I mean, almost every available hour is being put towards typically something that the parents over there will or think will 
um, help get them into college is what it comes down to, right? It's like true. Educationally, whether that's a musical instrument, a foreign language, right. math, you know, whatever it is, like that has precedence over sports. Right. And I think, you know, from a U.S. perspective, it's easy to say, to sit back and be like, that's crazy, you know, like terrible parenting, whatever. But I think from their perspective, and this kind of makes sense, the, the more I heard it is like there are just so many kids in China that in in order to to get into the most prestigious schools you you really are competing against you know everyone else and it, it is it, from my perspective it feels more like a competition than it is in the United States like um, you know I definitely have kids in high school who cared really hard about class rank and that type of thing but for them, numbers are everything. Like, if you don't get the right test score, you can't get into certain schools. And if you don't get into certain schools, you can't get certain jobs. And then a lot of people, you know, from that point, like, your career is, is totally different than it could be if you had gotten, you know, five points higher. They had the final test called the Gaokao, which is, like, their SAT but on steroids. So it, it just basically can determine almost every other step in your life afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it's super, super important. So what about, uh, we'll kind of switch gears a little bit. Can you talk about the CBA over there, the Chinese Basketball Association, and how do they find and develop their players? And, um, yeah, what is that all about? Yeah, so I think from my experience and uh, met some people that are in the CBA system coaching while I've been in Chengdu, um, but yeah, the, the recruitment system starts at a young age and a lot of times things are really specialized. So kids will be going to a sports middle school if they've been ID'd as... And they're ID'd by the government, right? Correct, yeah. Or in some, ca- in some cases, the regional sports authority. So like right. the Chengdu the basketball or the Sichuan, the, provin- the provincial. Right. Isn't it still like the regional or the provincial government. sports yeah. bureau of the government, Correct. of the regional government? Yeah. So it's just, it, in, in China still, the government is, in, in most fact, facets of life, is the determining body. Um, recently, they... they you know, at least in word, have said they elected Yao Yao Ming to be the new chairman of the CBA, and they've said that now it's going to be a separate organization. But you know, time will tell. But anyways, back to the CBA. Um, yeah, the way they get guys is a lot of it is early youth development. They want people in their system training from a young age. They have different age groups um, that are playing competitions, working on their game. And then that filters up through the college system where, again, the top talent is brought in to the regional system. Um, and then I guess it feeds up more like a European system does than, than we think of where everything's segmented by your school in the States. Yeah. I, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I've, I've been told by a pretty reliable source that by the time some of these top players get to the national team, like they are just worn out. Their bodies are worn out. They're kind of broken down because it kind of goes back to what we talked about, about the coaching in China is, is not the greatest. And so like um, my understanding is a lot of these very elite level or high level Chinese coaches are um, are very hard on these guys in terms of uh, the number of times they practice every day, 
what they do in those practices and like you know sprinting and running and all all, all sorts of stuff so that by the time they're 20 years old and should be kind of entering their prime years like a lot of times they're just worn out and their bodies are broken and 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 they're never really able to reach perhaps the potential that they they could have with a little bit better coaching is is, is that have you heard anything like that or yeah i think so um i think burnout is a big big issue over there again because you do like you're saying earlier you do have the athletes and the quality is there but yeah a lot of times by by the moment they reach 20 21 they're they've had these injuries in their youth or something that maybe never healed or um or they're just so sick of of practicing seven days a week that that their heart's not really in it the the issue is because they've been so specialized throughout their entire life they don't really have a recourse so like if they hate basketball a lot of times they have to stick with it because it is their only professional opportunity because it's all they've done throughout their life yeah and what about the mba in china uh i read a book recently about it um maybe about a year ago called brave brave dragons um, by a u.s author who spent a year over there with one of the cba teams but uh he got into the whole history behind the mba coming into china and a lot of people don't know this, like it's a whole separate entity. It's NBA China and not actually like NBA US maybe for a better, uh, lack of a better term, but whole whole, whole different um, entity there. And the NBA is attempting to set up some basketball like NBA academies there. They have three of them currently, yep. just like they've done. They've been able to do pretty successfully in Africa in, uh, they've done it in India and it's been it's working pretty well but um, they're trying to do this academy model in China and just can you talk a little bit about what you know about what the MBA is trying to do in China yeah I think in a lot of ways I mean from what I can tell reading online and, and talking to people the MBA's goal is to get some of those talented kids before they get sucked into the provincial system or the the club system um, and, you know, get them into a system where they are getting a, maybe a more holistic coaching experience and they they have schooling on site at these academies. I think it's Zhejiang, Xinjiang, and where's the other one? It's in Hangzhou. Yeah, that's that's the Zhejiang one. I can't, I'm trying to think it's of the, the one. one. Uh, it's the one up near Beijing. Yeah, and then Northeast. Yeah. yeah, I forget what city that is though. Me too. But they uh, Jin Lin or something like that or Jilin? Jilin? that could be it that yeah. could be it. But my they, uh, my Mandarin is uh, non-existent actually. It's a work in progress. That's what we'll <laughs> yeah, say. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think uh, uh, from their perspective, what they want to do is get a, a group of of people that they can coach for a while, right, and prove that, like we've said, that athleticism is there. You just have to manage the kids and their time and their bodies a little a little more wisely. Um, and I think if the NBA can prove that and start developing a pool of Chinese players, because obviously they want the next Yao Ming, right? They, they want a Chinese-born player that can draw the audience. The NBA is already huge in China, but if you have a Chinese-born player... The, a star. The, right, the fandom will explode yeah i mean let's not kid anyone here it's a financial motive for the nba which is fine i mean they're a business and 
so they're they're motivated by you know financial gain and that's their goal and so if they can create the next Yao Ming or help develop the next Yao Ming then that's much better financially for them because of the number of eyeballs in China and the sponsorship it brings with them yep. and uh, the merchandise sales and everything that goes along with having a Chinese star like right. a Yao Ming in the NBA. Yeah, and they definitely have, I mean, I think they have a couple of young prospects that have, uh, you know, that have made the summer league rosters and that are kind of on the fringe, but no one that is really presenting themselves as the net, as the heir apparent you know like an all-star exactly. level player yeah i think it, there's still some time that needs to pass but like i said earlier there have been reforms to the the national system the it feels it feels like the basketball world and athletics in general in china are starting to open up a little bit um, i don't i don't know you know from the nba's perspective if they feel the same way but i think uh, you know, within the next 10 years, you should see more more Chinese players on NBA rosters. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, let's end it on this note. So uh, you and I and Ross are taking over a group of 10 players, yep. and I think it's eight of their family members. So I think it's 18 total, plus me, you, Ross, makes 21. So about a group, uh, a group of 21, we are doing a, uh, yeah, what we're calling our, our, a China tour. We're flying into Shanghai. We'll be there for three days or so. Then we're going to Chengdu. And just so you know, a lot of people out there are probably hearing Chengdu and like, what, what the heck is Chengdu? Well, Chengdu has 15 million people, so it's the size of New York or so. Right. Um, then after Chengdu, we are going to Beijing and it's a combination of a basketball and a cultural tour where it's kind of like uh, one day will be basketball, the next day will be a sightseeing slash tourism slash cultural um, event. Um, and then the next day will be basketball, next day tour, you know, so on and so forth. So should be really fun, but uh, yeah, what do you think about it? Yeah, I can't wait. Um, earlier you asked me like what my, you know, opinion was about CBA level type uh, players and you know the status of the league in Beijing we're taking on uh, or sorry in Chengdu we're taking on the CBA team there so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the skill level and seeing some of the players uh, in action um, in Shanghai we're we're playing a street ball team which is a little unorthodox uh, might not be the the highest level of basketball quality but the guys are hugely influential in china um like we've talked about earlier the the pickup culture and the streetball culture is yeah they got a great streetball culture I it's love everywhere it. yeah. it's everywhere and so some of my friends in, in china when they heard we were doing this tour they were like you got to play a streetball team and initially because i knew you know there would be a it's not a cba team it's not a pro team the quality's not going to be there but he said it but that's china like that's authentic china so I think it'll be great for our guys. Yeah. They're going to get the pro team. They're going to get the street ball. And then in, in Beijing, we're taking on Tsinghua University, which is the top-ranked academic university in the, in the country. Like and, the Harvard of China. Yep. Harvard, MIT. It's got like a, an unbelievable engineering program that, that one of my friends from Swarthmore just got accepted into a graduate program. So he's going to come to Tsinghua and 
do an engineering program for two years. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'm pumped. Yeah. Shanghai. It's, um, it's the streetball team and not only the streetball team, we're playing at the, uh, Shanghai Rucker Park. That's right. And, and yes, Rucker Park, just as you think it's spelled like from New York, exactly that the one same. is like the most famous, the uh, playground in, uh, in Shanghai. It's covered, but it's outside. Yeah. So we're playing them there. So we actually should have a pretty big crowd. I actually think it, judging from my past experience of just going to the park and playing pickup, like I think it's going to be packed and like it's going to overflow probably with people coming out just to watch like our yeah. team and our team, just so people out there know, is made up of basically half uh, college players, which are some of our alumni. A yep. uh, couple, you know, one D one guy, D two, couple D threes, couple couple D twos, I think, couple D threes, and then a couple high school kids um, that have a a chance that that play for us that also have a chance to play in college as well so we'll go over there and play and um, should be pretty fun Chengdu then we're going and like Carl said gonna play a CBA team and uh, we'll also see the pandas over there that's oh, yeah. like everyone knows about the pandas in China they're based kind of in Chengdu is where yep. uh, the city where uh, I, I guess the, the pandas I, I, yeah that's the where they're from that's the where pandas. they live yeah, in the I mountains guess. outside yeah. of Sichuan so. yeah so uh, and then we'll finish up in Beijing play the the Harvard of China and then we'll also do Great Wall and some other things along the way yeah. um, check we'll, out the Forbidden City yeah we'll, we'll also do some like one thing I think is going to be great for our guys or our kids is like kind of the, the mixers that we're doing where we're going to do some group dinners or mm-hmm. um, we're going to do the breakfast together with the uh the Sichuan Blue Whales, the CBA team from from Chengdu, um, that will be really cool. Just to, to to mix our American kids in with the Chinese players, and I, I think that 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 maybe will be the most valuable thing. I think. For right. I, I completely agree. I think that was a huge priority for us when we were scheduling these things. Is you know, obviously we want high quality basketball opportunities for our kids. We want a great experience for them from that perspective but also like we want to show them that their counterparts in china the kids that are the same age as them are you know pretty similar in a lot of ways and like i think the best way to do that is just sit down and and have a meal with the other person you know because you when you you're sharing food they there's a saying in chinese i'm going to butcher it but the meaning is that like everything important happens over food so Oh, I didn't know that. That explains a lot every yeah. time I go over there. Yeah. It's, always, it's always over dinner. Business, <laughs> anything, like. anything important, you know, always over food. So I think, you know, from a cultural exchange standpoint, when our guys have that chance to sit down and and engage, it might be in some broken English, um, but it'll be, I think those will be the times, you know, 15, 20 years from now, those, our guys are going to look back and say, that was awesome. Like I got to meet, these guys in the CBA or that were playing in college over there and maybe they stay in touch. Who knows? But yeah, no, I'm, I'm pumped up about it, man. So we'll leave bright and early Monday morning and uh, be over there for 10 or 11 days. Carl is going to remain behind in Chengdu and continue his, his work over there for pro skills. And then we'll go on to Beijing. And then after Beijing, we'll head back, head back home. I think we get home on the 17th. So I think it's the, we leave on the August 6th and get back August 17th. So yep. should be fun, man. Well, um, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's a, it a good conversation about basketball in China. Yeah, it's good to be back in Charlotte for a minute. So. All right, thanks, man. You bet.